Hey guys, Jim Cox, and I'm here with an interview with Dan McGenna. Um, he's a coach, and um, we'd become connected. Uh, I'd seen some of his work and looked really interesting and wanted to get his two cents given um, what's going on in the economy and with people's lives. So, Dan, thanks for taking the time to uh, chat today. No, the, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Um, so tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? Hi, so um, uh, I'm from the UK, East London. I now live in Cabo, Mexico. Um, I've actually been an entrepreneur all of my life. I've had a couple of jobs in my entire life. One was a, in a, a movie, so a cinema when I was a teenager. Um, and then also in a, a call center when I was in my mid twenties and starting at my last business, I, I worked part work. I worked full time in the call center from one o'clock in the afternoon till eight thirty in the evening. And I was working, building up my business in the morning. And, uh, when I got back from work, uh, I moved away from that industry and, uh, now do personal development full time, coaching, writing books, podcasting, speaking, and generally having a good old life. Awesome. You, uh, you mentioned uh, being an entrepreneur your whole life. I kind of feel the same way. Um, what do you think makes somebody take that path from an early stage? Like what, what is it that in your life that kind of pulled you down that path? I, I had an interesting event that happened when I was um, just heading off to college, getting ready to head off to college. That was a time in the UK when they were making some big changes in the education system. And one of the things that they did is we, we have something called A-levels, which is around the age of your senior high. So between the ages of like 16 and, and 18. So we call that college, but you call your university college. Uh, and I, I was taking that period of education around the time they made this big change. And there was this really weird thing that happened. They, they deliberately downgraded all of the, the papers for the second half of that, because apparently the first half was too easy. Now I did get full marks on my macroeconomics paper, like hundred percent results on that. I like to take the credit, but apparently that was happening a bit too often. And so they deliberately downgraded. So I actually lost the place at my first choice university. I actually got an Keeble college, Oxford university, quite prestigious um, education establishment. And I, I was really upset by that. And there were some things that happened in the family. I didn't want to go to university. I wanted to take a year out. Mum and dad said I had to go. So my big foray into entrepreneurship, I'd already kind of been an entrepreneur. I taught myself to make computers when I was a teenager. I had a tuck shop at school. Whenever we'd go on holiday, I'd look for something that was low price I could bring back and sell to people. But this event actually tipped me over the edge. I became completely rebellious against the whole establishment and the system. And I was determined to do things my own way and ended up giving myself fully to the gods of entrepreneurship. And that's a risky thing. I mean, mm -hmm. everybody, I don't think everybody appreciates kind of the, um, I don't know, the, uh, I don't think, obviously it, most people don't have the wherewithal mm. to, kind of go out there on their own and do the creative stuff that it takes to really be able to feed yourself. You know, most people go through life wanting to have the security of a job, but mm. at the end of the day, when you look at the economy today, like what security is there in that? You know, you know what <laughs> exactly. I mean? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm really fortunate that I started my personal development journey in my teens. 
So by the time that I got to sort of, you know, 18 years old uh, and deciding, you know, I'm going to go out and take a leap, I'd spent a couple of years already working on learning about goal setting and intention setting, um, visualization. I'd already started becoming pen pals with my first mentor, a chap called Stuart Goldsmith, whose book, uh, The Midas Method, I directly, directly give that one credit for making my first million by the age of 19. Um, I, I don't know if I would have been able to do it if I hadn't developed tools from that age. I see it in my life now with people that I work with, you know, like you said, right now, this whole thing where the illusion of security that people have been given by waiting on someone else to feed them, it's collapsing these narratives that people have that there is any security out there. And they're being forced to, to look at the truth that entrepreneurs like yourself and myself kind of grasped earlier and mm-hmm. just took by the, the, the ball by the horns and went for it. So I respect people like us who are ready to go out there, but I also acknowledge that people that haven't actually done anything to resource themselves to be an entrepreneur do just sort of wait on the breadline and whether it's with a job or whether it's some kind of government handout or what have you. One of the, um, I think one of the uh, misunderstandings of, of the current age is the gig economy. You know, mm. there's this sexiness about it and that people are going to um, be entrepreneurial and, and be able to kind of create this life of their own. But the reality is I, I don't think that they've been prepped for it. Like, for example, if you look at a lot of the businesses that kind of pull people down the, the gig pathway, mm. um, do they understand the importance of setting aside money for taxes, uh, mm. for for taking out their own um plans in terms of benefits like health Mm -hmm. or disability or life insurance Mm -hmm. or retirement like all those things are normally provided by the employer but Mm -hmm. here they are thrust upon you know people who don't have kind of the knowledge background to know what they need to do um to take care of themselves in a in a holistic sense do you know what the other thing is as well um on that same point there's a couple of pieces on that. Number one, it's interesting to see how many people are making money off giving people the delusion that they will be able to do that. Mm-hmm. So if we look at things honestly and dispassionately, not everybody is an entrepreneur. Not everybody's yep. a value creator. Even if we start applying the app, the, the Pareto principle, most goods are produced by the few. The many are either contributing to the production of those goods or are consuming it. They're not actually the originators and the original creators of value. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a beauty to just being honest about where you are in that dynamic rather than putting yourself in stress or putting yourself in a position where you won't be able to take care of yourself because you're trying to be something that you're not. Mm-hmm. We all have um, part and parcel of my, my mission is sharing that everybody has a unique role to play in the overall organiz- organism that we call reality, life, the world, whatever. And not all of them are going to be value creators. Some are going to be consumers or uh, co-creators in an experience. You may be a great uh, head of operations. That doesn't mean that you're going to be a great CEO. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know what I mean? You may be great at some part of the entrepreneurial process, but not necessarily the leader of an entrepreneurial enterprise. Um, So I think it's sad that there are people that are, you know, getting people to 
go and spend money learning to, oh, you know, you can be an entrepreneur and you can do this and you can do that. Because the truth is that not everybody can. And there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that we'll be better off when more people are just staying in their lane. I'm not saying don't try and grow. I'm not saying, you know, don't go out and give something a try. But there are people who are from desperation or from fear, taking leaps and often taking risks that their family perhaps isn't ready to be able to, to bear the potential downside of mm-hmm. um, without being prepared and resourced to do well, it. Well, I think that's the key really is, is they don't understand what the downside risks are. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, in, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people end up feeling like they're failures. Like, mm-hmm. hey, Definitely. you know, the society portrays it as, you know, the Kardashians can do this. Why can't I, you know, it's, it's obviously so easy. So uh, why, you know, why am I such a failure? And the reality is it's, it's unreasonable expectations that the society builds up for people to try to meet when they don't have the educational background or the experiential background mm. to be able to deal with it. You know, I mean, if we start talking about inner game versus outer game, right. Um, I mean, I'm, I teach about, teach about something I call alignment, which looks at the combination of the unconscious choices, which are running the game most of the time about what we're actually moving towards, the capacity to hold something emotionally and energetically, the capacity to have the level of belief and certainty that precedes anything that we manifest, and then the strategies, the tactics, and the skills. You know, you've got people that are running around saying, you know, you can be a millionaire, put this check on the wall for a million dollars and say, I'm rich, I'm rich every day and you're going to be rich. Well, you might feel good about being rich, but that doesn't necessarily undo a lifetime of poverty mentality or a lifetime of fear or a lifetime of anxiety or in a, even a deep seated trauma around the idea of being wealthy. And it doesn't overcome the fact that you don't know how to do anything other than play the guitar. Now the possibility exists that just that one skill might get you somewhere but let's talk about probability if we want to even go into you know what some of the esoterics refer to in terms of infinite possibility or even what one of my doc, my one of my teachers dr joe Dispenza, talks about infinite possibility in the realm of infinite possibility possibility doesn't equal probability like you said there are there are physical things that need to be in place in order for something to happen does it mean that we are limited completely? No, infinite possibility is infinite possibility. If infinite possibility is true, I could be a, a million dollar a year sports person. But the probability that that's going to happen when I don't know any, even the rules of that sport are very, very low. And I think once we start taking the beauty that does exist, for example, with a lot of the, the, the ideas and principles being taught in mindfulness and consciousness and start grounding them in the real world where we actually live, then we'll be a lot better off. Oh yeah. Especially from a mental health perspective. Oh, right? definitely. I mean, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. What do you see as people's um, limiting beliefs? What are some of the things that you find that people have to try to overcome um, in their search to uh, try to better themselves? Generally, it's just the stories that we live by. There's a modality that I'm a certified coach in, um, certified instructor in called uh, Reality Transurfing. It's uh, created by a crazy Russian guy called Vadim Zilin. Very, very interesting, very esoteric, but there's some great ideas in there that I love. And one of them is the idea of called, something called the slide. And what the slide talks about is the lens through which we see our world. And that lens is made up of our 
experiences, um, ideas that are passed down by our family, the environment that we're used to growing up in, and that effectively taints everything that we see. I look at that and I look at the fact that there are ideas or collective agreements that the world holds. So for example, um, if you're this gender or you're this race or you're this height, then there are limitations that are associated with that. So I think one of the most, some of the most common limiting beliefs that people have are the collective beliefs based around who they are, the limitations that environment or society give them the illusion that they must be subject to. So then how do you, how do you extract yourself from those, those limitations? I've got a really cool hack that I give people that I work with. Um, rather than trying to find every single limiting belief and address uncovering them, what if you could just open yourself up to the maybe that you can be anything? Not the certainty, but just the maybe. Because if we look at beliefs as the doorway, right, the gatekeeper to possibility, if that gate is just unlocked, not even necessarily open, but just unlocked, you're a step further. Because the gate is unlocked, ideas and possibilities and, and realities and outcomes that were closed off to you now have a chance to at least start dripping through. Mm. And as they start dripping through, now we've got some evidence to support maybe moving from a maybe into a highly probable and then into a certainty because at the end of the day, the mind, which isn't our enemy, is our friend, just creates these gates based on the evidence that has been given. The really cool thing is that the mind doesn't know the difference between whether something really happened or it's imagined. So we can actually create evidence to support that. But in the process of creating, what we want to do is get to the space where we start generating real-time results, real-time evidence that we can use to then layer on top of that so that we build up a case at the unconscious level for certainty. So I always teach people, let's just look at stepping into the possibility of maybe. Sometimes that's going to be challenging the idea of certainty to the negative. Can we be sure that that's definitely not going to happen? Can we be sure that that limit really exists? And if we can just bring some doubt to that, if, you know, if we're looking at the court of law, just some reasonable doubt that opens up to some maybe, maybe energy, which unlocks the door, starts some evidence coming through, and then we can start to stack that, layer it, and build a case for, I'm certain I can do this. Mm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, one of the challenges, though, I think is it's it's hard work to constantly challenge yourself to ask those questions where you're where you're examining things. You know, mm -hmm. I don't think, by and large, and maybe it's different in the UK. I, I kind of doubt it, but especially in the U, especially in the US, I mean, I, I don't think that critical thinking skills are necessarily, you know, taught. Um, and really, that's kind of the crux of where, you know, a person either evolves or they don't evolve. You know, mm -hmm. the ability to examine. You know, who was it, Plato, that said, you know, um, an unexamined or was it Plato? Uh, one of the Greeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. An, an unexamined <laughs> life is not worth living. I mean, you have yeah. to you have to look within at the end of the day. Mm. And by and large, society does not want you to look within. And that's why most people aren't going to get anywhere. I, I, I think. Yeah. They may have the dream of getting somewhere. They may even start on the road. Um, I don't really coach personally many many people. I don't. I'm very. Um, 
even with my programs, any of my programs that involve time with me, you have to be interviewed. The reason being that I'm not interested in being an excuse for people who want to say that they tried something and then blame me for them, them not getting anywhere. So what I've observed over the past 20 years, I've been in the world of personal development and seen in different schools of thought, in different modalities under different teachers, there are people that maybe at a conscious level do desire to get somewhere, but an unconscious level, they just, they just don't want it. And the reason why that becomes a problem is because it is work. Whether it's work in catching yourself, whether it's work in critical thinking, whether it's work in taking accountability, whether it's even work in entering into a space of playful curiosity about possibility, it is work. And it's not a work that everyone's ready to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are, what are some games that you would think that we can help teenagers with to try to get to that point of kind of self-examination. Like, are there things like, as far as exercises that people can do with either their kids or with their teenagers to try to push them down that path of looking within? I actually did this. I've got a lot of nephews and nieces. Um, And one of the things that I've always done is I've always challenged them to think differently. Mm. So people get annoyed with toddlers by for example, because I said, they're always asking questions. Yeah. I, I ask them questions back. <laughs> That's what I do. Why are you doing this? Why do you think? Let's have a conversation about it. I engage them and push them to start thinking differently. Mm-hmm. Um, my older nephews and nieces, especially because I was more actively around in the UK around them when, when they were growing up, you know, I'd have discussions with them. I'd ask them, you know, what's going on with them and invite them to have a safe space to talk about what's going on with them so they didn't have to hide stuff and would challenge them to examine their why behind things. The, the intention, what were you thinking about with that? Not aggressively, but just having them start to think differently. And then, you know, what's the possibilities exist on the back of this? Where do you want to be? What do we have to do now? So just getting them to think in a different way to what's the norm starts to fire and wire different neurons, get the brain moving a bit differently and open them up to different ways of experiencing life. Exactly. And, and I think the key to what you're talking about there, though, is it requires a conversation between a parent and a child, right? Definitely it requires community mm-hmm. in order to be able to um, kind of go through that journey together, but more importantly, to, to have them embrace that journey. Um, and you know, in the United States, there's a, a phrase called uh, latchkey kids, you know, basically kids, uh, parents go to work and then the kids go to school, they come home and, you know, they wear a key around their neck. They come in from, from school and, mm-hmm. you know, for the next couple of hours or they're, they're home alone and, you know, not really with any guidance. I'm mm-hmm. not saying that parents have to, you know, obviously stay home all the time, although work from home these days seem, <laughs> That's the norm right seem to have changed that. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it, that dynamic of being a latchkey kid, you know, um, isolates kids, mm. you know, which isn't, um, obviously in their best long-term interests. If you're not going to take time when you are with them to, to be able to engage them like that. Well, humans are communal creatures by and large. Obviously, there are some of us that are more introverted, 
but by and large, we're communal creatures. And so, you know, if we look at evolutionary psychology, we, you know, thousands and thousands of years has been spent developing neurochemistry around the idea of community being a part of healthy growth. So definitely that's the case. Even if you look at the teenager, when hormones start their production, having spent a few years with an analytical mind and starting to look to form community, whether it's with their school groupings or whether it's with their social networks and starting to develop a sense of identity against the backdrop of analytical function and chemical production in the body. When that is left to its own devices, then that child is going to be the byproduct pretty much purely of what they took in and observed between the ages of say two and seven, when they were just straight, um, theta mind and just soaking up everything in their environment. So what I think is interesting in this part of the discussion that we're having today is the fact that parents have been resourcing their children to look at life one way or another, not even by what they were deliberately teaching, but by what they were doing because the children were learning through osmosis, taking in what they're observing Mm. of their parents or of their immediate environment, and then going out to play that out with the mix of of analysis and with the mix of hormones being produced in the body, we're starting to produce those slides that become the lens through which they see their world. Hmm. What role does, um, like one of, the, one of the things I see a lot of, especially with young people, is um, a lot of young people are a lot more spiritual than hmm. what I remember when I was their age. And, hmm. you know, it's kind of, I guess it, you know, in my uh, historical mindset, I would say it, maybe this is what the sixties were like, although, Mm. you know, I was not around in the Mm sixties, but, um, you know, what, what role does spirituality play in terms of, I guess, liberation from a standpoint of, you know, being a functioning member of society? Mm. But I think the 60s, again, I wasn't there either, but one of the ideas that keeps coming forward is the idea of freedom. So there was freedom of thought uh, coming off the back of the 50s, which I, I think really comes from the fact that they were being born to and raised by and with peers with people who didn't have the same social structures. The Second World War changed fundamentally the social structure. Women were given more rights and more say they had to because the men weren't there they were away to war so the men come back from you know six seven years of of war and then you've got women who have been independent they've been told that they have to be subservient to men they can't do men's work they have to do this they have to do that in the west at least and then it's been proven that they they can because they were doing it so you can't really put that back in the box so you've got all of these changed ideas these social structures that have been challenged And then you have the product of that in terms of the children that came off the back of that, who are raised by a society that got to see things happening a different way. And so there was no structure for that. And so creativity and that freedom led to new ideas being birthed. We also had more of a cross migration of culture. You had, for example, uh, people from India were coming to fight for for the UK, for example, in the Second World War bringing their ideas and then commingling. Um, We had a lot of even interracial relationships that happened around that time because social structures just weren't the same. Nowadays, we have information. We have the information age. So it's easier for people to get information. 
And also we've got, again, a shift in social structure around the idea of the fact that traditional religions being challenged, ideas around this is the way that things have to be done are being challenged. Things like communism, which has really, you know, it's released billions of people now to freedom of thought and freedom of expression. It's creating another melting pot of ideas. Spirituality is something that I think is hardwired into us um, because we have energetic bodies. We have an energetic experience, which is measurable. And when that part of ourself is, has been held captive to doing things a certain way for so long, and then all of a sudden has a chance to be expressed and experienced. And then we have all of this information giving us different ideas to explore. Once again, we have this whole new world. And I think that's what we're experiencing with spirituality today. So how does creativity play into that? Like is spirituality then driving people to become more creative as well? I think inherently, inherently, sorry, humans do have a creative desire within them you know whether it's painting or some kind of traditionally creative expression or even if it's giving life uh -huh. giving life to something giving life to a child giving life to an idea most of us in some way shape or form do have a creative need within us a need to create and i think that's a byproduct my own personal belief of inherently being creators Spirituality, I think, just explores how our energetic experience, our spiritual experience has a role in that. I personally believe that when we look at density or uh, how energy takes more and more physical form, the greater part of our experience happens at an energetic level. And then we come to experience a more physically dense aspect of that. So more of us just happens there. And because of the way that we're being challenged to look at things differently, because we have information available on how we can do that and different ideas being shared, I think that we're just exploring what it means to have an energetic experience and to include that in how we live our lives. Hmm. And artistic expression uh, also plays into the fact that the, the individual is going through that process of exploration that's required for them to be more entrepreneurial, for them to really kind of deal with this current society. So hmm. uh, it all kind of circles back together. Hmm. Um, I know you have a number of books. Why don't you share uh, a couple of titles and kind of what, what's the gist of what you're trying to accomplish with some of the books that you've put together? Well, thanks for that. It's, me personally, I've got a mission. And I believe that the world that we're living in is a combination of the ideas and principles of the people who live in it. And when people are, for example, resistant or people are, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Resentful about them not expressing themselves as they truly want to deep down. That's going to contribute to what they're putting out to the world. So if more people are in a space of flow and a space of joy, because they're actually doing what feels good to them and lights them up, then we're going to reach a critical mass where there's enough of that energy going around for the world to be a better place. I empower people to live more abundant, joyful, purpose-driven lives. The reason being that I believe abundance is the natural state of nature and we're a part of nature, that joy is a natural aspect. If you look at a child, a child is naturally joyful before it learns anything else. And purpose-driven because I think we all, once directed in a certain direction, bring those other pieces together too. So my work really is around that. Uh, the Dreamers Manifesto outlines my ideas I just shared. It's a very short book that talks about that. It's a motivational book. Stepping Beyond Intention, which is my best-selling book I put out last year, that kind of brings together my framework around how people can actually live a life that way. 
how can I actually, you know, I've read, I've read the secret or I've, I've saw this, or I watched that. I've heard about the law of attraction. I've, I've heard about positive thinking. I read think and grow rich and it's still not working. Well, in that book, I put forward some ideas as to why it's not necessarily working and how you can actually make it work for you. And we've had some great results with that. So those are the key, key books. Um, the other books like, uh, from time to time talks about creating abundance with our time. Uh, the money game talks about creating abundance with our money, but really I'm more concerned with people doing what lights them up, understanding that they don't have to succumb to the stories that are holding them back from doing that and giving them some support, encouragement, and motivation to go out and do it for themselves. Awesome. Um, if people want to learn more, uh, do you have an email or a website they can go to? My website is always the best place to go. That's dreamwithdan.com. You can find out about my podcast, my books, any events that we're doing. Uh, we've got a free workshop, for example, coming up on the 15th of November for, uh, for entrepreneurs or for people who are into entrepreneurship or, or thinking about that to show how some of these tools and ideas can practically lead to creating deliberate success in the area of their life. Awesome. Well, Dan, I appreciate your taking the time to uh, chat today. It was very uh, useful. I think a lot of people will get a lot out of it. And well, thank you, you know, so much. Again, for thanks it. again for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Awesome. Oh.